Hey everybody, this is Jason. And Paul. And just wanted to put a tiny disclaimer here at the beginning of the episode. So this episode is about earthquakes. And we realized after recording this that we made earthquakes sound pretty scary. And while they can be if you get stuck in a really big earthquake, that's extremely unlikely to happen to you. Because these big earthquakes are very few and far between. And even if somehow you were unlucky enough to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, Japan is extremely well prepared for these kinds of events. They're as prepared, probably more so than any other nation in the world, yes. to respond to these disasters. Absolutely. And as you said, the major earthquakes that are destructive are few and far between, and they only hit specific regions of the country. So even if you were in Japan when a big quake hit, you probably wouldn't even be in the region that it hit. Yeah, you're actually way more likely to die in a car crash in your home country than you are to die in an earthquake in Japan. So bottom line, don't worry. You're going to be fine in Japan. Don't, please don't let earthquakes scare you away from visiting Japan because there is so much cool stuff to see there. Yeah, Japan's a very safe country, earthquakes included. Yes. All right, well... On to the episode. Yes. Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of disaster preparedness. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today our topic is earthquakes. Scary. I think we should start with defining earthquakes. Do you want to do it or should I? What's an earthquake, Jason? Earthquakes, also known as quakes, tremors, or temblers. Did you see that? Temblers? I saw there were a few names. I don't... I've never heard that word before. <laughs> temblers. Oh no, a tembler is coming. <laughs> Someone must say it somewhere. I guess. Anyway, they're when the surface of the earth shakes, basically. So to get a little more technical, the earth's lithosphere which is the crust and the upper mantle, the stuff right below our feet, basically, going down a little ways, is divided into tectonic plates. There are all these plates all over the planet that are always moving around super, super slowly. And these plates slipping up against each other releases massive amounts of energy, which us humans, on top of the Earth, experience as earthquakes. Well said. Thank you. So earthquakes are caused mostly by the rupture of geological faults, but they can also be caused by other events, such as volcanic activity or landslides or nuclear tests or fracking, apparently, we've found out in the last few years. Yeah, that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, so Japan is pretty unlucky just due to their location in the world. Japan is in a zone of extreme crustal instability, so they're having earthquakes all the time. They're also in something called the Pacific Ring of Fire, which is where 90% of the earthquakes on Earth happen, and 81% of the largest earthquakes happen there. So this Ring of Fire is, is a pretty big area, actually. It's kind of this horseshoe-shaped thing that stretches all the way down from New Zealand up to most of Southeast Asia, Japan, and then over across the top and connects to the west coast of North and South America. So pretty big area, but tons of earthquakes there. And that ring also has 
452 volcanoes, which is more than three quarters of the world's volcanoes, and 110 of those are in Japan. Relatively small archipelago. Yeah, so there's not really a place in the world where you could say definitely has more seismic or volcanic activity than Japan does. Yeah, it is crazy. Japan has as many as 1,500 earthquakes per year, and they have at least minor tremors almost daily in Japan. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of earthquakes. Yes, it is. So the main danger that people associate with earthquakes is probably the ground shaking, but there's a lot of other damage that earthquakes can do as well. Mm-hmm. There's something called ground rupture, which is a fault line actually pulls itself apart and opens up a trench uh, inside the earth, which can obviously destroy buildings or swallow up roads. Yeah, that's scary, man. That's like hell opening up and just swallowing people and stuff. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be standing there when that happened. Yeah. Also, landslides can be caused. Fires are a huge hazard. Tsunami and floods. And there's something called soil liquefaction. Yeah. Which is, as far as I understand it, it's where like sand or something like that near water gets mixed in with the water while the ground's shaking. And it goes from a solid to a liquid. So all of a sudden you try to walk out on the sand and you just sink into it. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like a lot like the mechanics of quicksand. Yeah. Like you have these little particles kind of suspended in water and things just sink right into it. Yeah, I don't know if a ton of humans are just walking into that and like getting sucked in, but it destroys a lot of buildings because the bases of the buildings collapse into the now liquid soil beneath them. Yeah. Causes a lot of damage and destruction that way. Yep. Crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Should we talk about the history of earthquakes in Japan a bit? I think we I think we should. Okay. Did you know that there's a myth about where earthquakes come from in Japan? No. What what's the myth? So the Japanese in their mythology they believe there's a giant catfish named Namazu that causes earthquakes. And Namazu lives in the mud beneath the earth and he's guarded by the god Kashima who restrains him with a stone. Stone. Yep, but whenever Kashima lets his guard down or he's not looking too closely, Namazu thrashes about, causing violent earthquakes. Man, that's cool. So I don't know if you should be mad at Kashima or not because he's most of the time preventing earthquakes, which is awesome, but then every once in a while he slips. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he could probably work a little bit harder. But for the most part, he's doing a good job. Yeah. What's the fish's name? Namazu. And Kashima... Is the god. And he uses a a stone... Yeah, he's put a big stone on top of the catfish. Oh, on top of the catfish. Yeah, on top of the catfish. He's pinning him down. Holding him down. Okay, wow. I mean, that doesn't sound like an easy job. I doubt that I could do a better job than Kashima. (laughs) Right. I couldn't restrain a giant catfish. Yeah. That's cool. Fun imagery. Yeah. And so in Japan, there's been earthquakes for as long as people have been living in Japan. It's been in the ring of fire for millions of years now. Yeah. So earthquakes go all the way back in Japan. Not something new. Yeah. Yeah. But let's talk about a few of the major earthquakes in somewhat recent history, shall we? 
Yeah, we should probably start with the Great Kanto Earthquake then. I think that's a good place to start. When was that? That struck on September 1st, 1923. Yeah, and it was pretty serious. I mean, they call it the Great Kanto Earthquake. It was no small earthquake. This thing was... Oh, wait, we didn't talk about the earthquake scales. Mm, that's true. Why don't you tell us about how those scales work that measure the intensity of earthquakes? Yeah, so there's a number of different scales. The first one that most people might be most familiar with is the Richter scale, mm-hmm. which was the first scale developed in 1935. And it's not considered the most accurate anymore. Mm-hmm. So there's a moment magnitude scale that is uh, most used today around the world. Mm-hmm. Although Japan has their own special scale, but theirs is based less, I believe, on the energy output of the quake and more about the actual amount of shaking or the amount of effect it had on buildings. Yeah. So there's different ways to classify earthquakes, and they don't all agree on exactly which one was bigger yeah. because there's different ways that you can that you can measure it and look at it. Right. But scientists, for the most part, are using the moment magnitude scale these days because it more accurately measures the actual work that the earthquake is doing, the amount of energy released. So those are the numbers we're going to be giving you in this episode. So this great Kanto earthquake, 1923, was a 7.9 on the moment magnitude scale. An estimated 140,000 people died in this earthquake. Yeah, devastated Tokyo and Yokohama and even the surrounding prefectures had wide damage. Yeah, and uh, we've talked about Kamakura before. That's a town kind of southwest of Tokyo a little bit, kind of along the coast. And this was over 37 miles from the epicenter of the earthquake. That's about 60 kilometers. And in Kamakura, there's this giant Buddha, a big metal Buddha that weighs about 121 tons. And this earthquake moved this 121-ton Buddha almost 60 centimeters from where it was sitting. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I can't even wrap my head around how heavy 121 tons is. I know. Wow. So... You know, I look at this number and I think, how, you know, 100, over 140,000 people died from this earthquake. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, how did they die? The most deadly thing was actually fire. Mm-hmm. It wasn't all from just buildings collapsing on people. Yeah. Um, the earthquake hit at lunchtime. So a bunch of people were cooking meals over fire, which is how they did it at the time. So the flames spread really fast. Well, and gas lines were ruptured, right? Releasing even more flammable stuff. And water mains were ruptured, so they didn't have hoses or any water to put out the flames with either. Yeah. And then strong typhoon winds came in off Tokyo Bay and spread the fire even that much more quickly. So it was just a really nasty, like perfect disaster for the fire spreading. Yeah. Over 500,000 homes were destroyed, leaving about 1.9 million people homeless in one day. Just boom. I can't imagine. Yeah. But disasters strike sometimes and you just got to move forward in life. Mm-hmm. And Japan definitely tried to do that the best they could. And uh, September 1st ended up getting declared annual disaster prevention day. Yep. So they're learning and trying to get better and prevent disasters in the future. 
Yeah, and we will talk in a bit about how they've done a pretty awesome job of doing that. They're very well prepared these days. But before that, let's talk about a couple more earthquakes. So on January 17th, 1995, you had the Great Hanshin Earthquake, also known as the Kobe Earthquake. This one was a 6.9 on the moment magnitude scale. Remember that last one was 7.9, so this one's not quite as bad. And this was also in a less populated part of Japan, so a lot less casualties. This one took about 6,000 lives. Yeah, and the magnitude wasn't as bad on this one, but it was considered a shallow inland earthquake, which means the hypocenter of the earthquake, which is where the release of energy actually happens, is what the hypocenter is, um, was located less than 20 kilometers below the surface of the earth. So it was a really shallow earthquake. So you got maybe more shaking and ground movement out of it than you otherwise would have on an earthquake of the same magnitude. Hmm. They were able actually to measure how much it shook. And there was 18 centimeters of horizontal shaking and 12 centimeters of vertical land movement. Wow. So, I mean, you could just imagine every building moving back and forth and up and down 18 and 12 centimeters. Yeah. That's, that's heavy shaking. Yeah. I mean, living in the middle of the United States where there are no earthquakes here, it would be pretty shocking to have something that you've always considered super stable and reliable, just jumping around all of a sudden, like your whole, your whole world is shaking. Yeah. And even in places where earthquakes are common, they just strike so suddenly. No one's ever thinking about an earthquake the moment it actually happens. Yeah. So over 200,000 buildings were destroyed in the quake which is pretty devastating for the uh, city of Kobe and the surrounding areas. Yep. It took them a long time to recover, and I think some people even argued if they're totally recovered today yet or not. Yeah, I mean, it can take a long time to recover from such major natural disasters. On the bright side, there were some big retail firms like 7-Eleven that stepped in after the quake and use their existing supply lines to provide amenities and basic necessities to those affected. That's commendable of them. Yeah. Good uh, example of everyone coming together yes. when, it's re- when it's really needed. Yeah. Social responsibility. Yeah. It's great. I think that leads us to the uh, Tohoku earthquake of 2011. Yep. On March 11th, 2011, you may remember this. It was not long ago. Japan was hit by the most powerful earthquake ever recorded in Japan. It was a 9.1 magnitude on the moment magnitude scale. Fortunately, the epicenter of the earthquake wasn't actually on land in Japan. It was 45 miles or 72 kilometers east of the coast of Japan. I think that ended up being unfortunate in the long run. Yeah, I just realized uh, (laughs) maybe fortunately wasn't the best choice of words there because the result of this was that it caused something called a tsunami. So what happens is the earthquake pushes water up and then that water has to go somewhere. So it just rushes away from that epicenter and it caused a... Tidal wave, basically. Another word for tsunami is a tidal wave. Yeah. They hit the the east coast of Japan, and it was devastating. 
waves were up to 133 feet high. Yeah. Or wow. 40, 40 meters. And these waves were moving up to 435 miles per hour. That's crazy. That's so fast. Uh, yeah. What else moves that fast? I mean, airplanes? There's nothing <laughs> on land that goes that fast, no, right? Nothing. Oh, yeah. I should say, sorry, 700 kilometers per hour. Yep. In case anyone was wondering. And these waves moved up to six miles or 10 kilometers inland. So like you, Paul, you and I lived in Los Angeles. We were not that close to the coast. I mean, we, we felt completely safe from any water-related disasters, right? But I'm pretty sure our place would have been underwater. Yeah, we were about five miles in. Yeah. We would have been, we, we would have been in trouble. Yeah. I mean, I remember the tsunami waves hit like Northern California. Uh, I don't remember a few days later or a week later or something. They weren't devastating at that point anymore. Yeah. But that's how powerful it was. It was just off the coast of Japan and the tsunami waves hit the West Coast in the United States. Yeah, all the way across the Pacific Ocean. That's insane. Just so, so much power being released. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Water is terrifying, man. I mean, the earth in general is terrifying, but when you got massive amounts of water moving around, there's nothing that can stop that, you know? Yeah, and residents in the path of this tsunami had about eight to 10 minutes warning. Yeah, that's not a lot of time when you're trying to outrun something moving and almost it's, 450 miles an hour. Yeah, and it's going to come six miles inland. Yeah. You'd have to be hopping a car immediately and be speeding 60 miles an hour in the other direction to get out of there in time. Yeah. Um, more than 19,000 people were recorded to be killed, mostly, I believe, by the tsunami. Yeah, either from drowning or blunt trauma, things hitting them. They got washed around. Yeah, you could be clinging to a pole or something somehow, but a car that got washed away could smack into you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so 2011, that's eight years ago now, but there are parts of Japan that are still recovering from this. I was there in 2015, and I saw some of the aftermath of this in a town called Ishinomaki. I mean, just saw a bunch of ruins and foundations of buildings that they haven't rebuilt I was surprised to see that after, you know, four years. There was just so much damage. Yeah. It's going to take a long, long time. Yeah. There was also a report in 2015 that at that point, there were still almost 230,000 people still displaced, either in temporary housing or because they permanently moved somewhere else in Japan. Wow. Yeah. And uh, the quake was so powerful that it moved Honshu, the main island of Japan, eight feet to the east. Say that again. The earthquake moved Honshu eight feet to the east. The entire island? Yes. Wow. Not only that, the earthquake shifted the earth on its axis by between 10 and 25 centimeters and increased the earth's rotational speed by 1.8 microseconds per day. That's... The Mind Earth blowing. is spinning faster now because of this earthquake. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's quite an earthquake. So also, you've probably heard about this earthquake. It led to the nuclear accident at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant complex. Yeah, that was a big deal. Yes. So at least three reactors suffered explosions. They're still working on containing the plants even today, I believe. I don't think it's fully 
resolved or taken care of yet. Yeah, I haven't heard anything in recent years, but the last I heard was it was going to take a while and they weren't really sure what they were going to do. Yeah, they evacuated residents within a 12-mile radius of the Fukushima plant. That was a lot of people. And I don't know how many of them can even go back today. They might be part of that population that's still not resettled. Yeah. Or moved somewhere new. Yeah. Quite unfortunate. To say the least. And, you know, they took into account the fact that tsunamis could hit those power plants when they built them. I can't remember the exact details, but they put like the backup generators too low and the backup generators got flooded and they lost power, which made the disaster worse. Hmm. They were so close to having it planned right, but they got lazy with like one little piece. If they would have had the generators in a higher place or something, it would have been uh, no big deal. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, nature is unpredictable. You can't be perfectly prepared for every possible thing that could happen. Right, it was the most powerful earthquake to ever hit Japan. Yeah, It's hard to plan for that when you're building every single thing. Yeah. Well, I got some facts about earthquakes in Japan. All right, give us some fun, well, less fun facts. <laughs> this isn't really a fun topic that much. Yeah, not a lot of fun facts about devastating earthquakes. Yeah. But uh, it's unusual for a year to go by in Japan without three or four major earthquakes, which are considered 6.0 or more. Mm-hmm. And Japan accounts for about 20% of all earthquakes magnitude 6 or greater uh, in the whole world, which is a lot for such a small country. Yeah, definitely. And I believe you mentioned earlier there's over 1,500 earthquakes a year in Japan. Mm-hmm. And at least 1,000 of those are noticeable earthquakes by people. So if you're just standing there walking around, there's at least 1,000 times a year where you're like, whoa, earthquake. Yeah. Well, not... Each person in Japan isn't going to feel a thousand earthquakes. True. It's just somewhere in Japan. In Japan, we said it's about the size of California. So, I mean, that's a decent amount of space. One person is not going to feel a ton of earthquakes each year. Right, right. You know, some, most of them are small enough that you have to be really close to the epicenter. Yeah. You know, the center of the earthquake to feel anything. Yeah, actually, I think it was on my last trip to Japan in 2016... I was in Tokyo, and as I was leaving, like, I heard some people talking, like, oh, did you feel that earthquake last night? Or, like, I heard somewhere that there was an earthquake in Tokyo while I was in Tokyo, and I didn't feel anything. Yeah. I don't know if I slept through it or what, but, you know, most of these things are not a big deal. Like, it's just the the big ones that you need to worry about. Yeah, the small ones is actually kind of fun. It's like, oh, earthquake, whoa, this is kind of cool. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt in California. Yeah. When we were in LA, that was when I felt my very first ever earthquake. And I was like, oh, this is kind of exciting. And same thing in LA. Like all the time I'd be getting like alerts on my phone, earthquake. And I'd be like, I didn't feel anything. Like if I was driving, I never remember feeling an earthquake. If I was like walking around, if I was working, I never felt one at work. Hmm. But if, if it was like when I was at home sitting in bed late at night and like the house started creaking, that's when I would like feel them. Yeah, those little ones would be more noticeable when you're sitting still, probably, right? Yeah, and I had, you know, the Japanese futon bed, so I was, like, lying on the ground, actually, so I could, like, feel the shaking maybe even better. Yeah. I don't know. But, yeah, a lot of them I felt, a lot of them I didn't. The biggest one I remember feeling was probably four-point-something, and it shook a bit, 
but it wasn't really scary. Didn't really yeah. knock things over too much. Yeah. But I'm glad I didn't feel a major earthquake. Me too. I'm glad I got out of there without the big one hit. Yeah. It would be scary when things start flying around. So let's talk a bit about how Japanese people prepare for earthquakes. Yeah. Japan has had, you know, all these disasters. They've learned a lot from what they've been through. And cities are actually surprisingly well prepared these days for earthquakes. That's good. Uh, drills are organized by the government and by schools and even by the private sector and even by neighborhood organizations. Yeah. In 1952, Japan set up a tsunami warning service with 300 sensors around Japan, and these things monitored seismic activity 24-7. So they know, as soon as they can possibly know, that an earthquake or tsunami is going to happen. Because these sensors predict the height, speed, location, and arrival time of any tsunami headed for Japan. Wow, that's incredible. Yep. They also built hundreds of earthquake and tsunami-proof shelters on the East Coast. And cities in Japan are super well prepared for earthquakes because of the specific requirements and mandatory checks that buildings have to go through for their earthquake preparedness. Yeah, so you look around a Japanese city and you'll see skyscrapers and all sorts of other modern buildings that look like anywhere else. But they are built differently to account for the earthquakes. Yep. Skyscrapers in particular are built designed to sway. The center column of the building, I believe, is like attached to the outer part of the building with hinges that can move left and right so that the building can sway in the earthquake without anything actually like stretching or bending. Um, and it helps keep the buildings upright for a much tougher quake. Yeah, a couple other techniques are that they have really deep foundations and massive shock absorbers that allow these things to move a bit instead of being so rigid that they just crumble. And these shock absorbers could be rubber or inflatable or filled with fluid. There are a lot of different ways that they achieve that goal. So the whole point of all this stuff is just to make sure that the whole building isn't so rigid that it just snaps. Like things are made so that they can bend and sway along with the movement of the earth. Yeah, there's a little bit of give in the buildings. Yep. So actually, you could see the success of these techniques in the 1995 Kobe earthquake because the old buildings that weren't built with these techniques, they pretty much all collapsed. But those modern ones were still standing. Even though, remember before we talked about the soil liquefaction, there were buildings in Kobe that were on top of soil that liquefied, but instead of falling apart and collapsing, these buildings were still standing. They were just tilted at an angle. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of those old buildings were built with really heavy roofs to protect against the typhoon winds and rain. Mm. But then when the earthquake hit, the heavy roofs shook the building and led to a lot of them collapsing. Hmm. That's uh, an unlucky coincidence. Yeah, you save yourself from one disaster and the next one gets you. Right. Japan's a rough place nature, nature-wise. Yeah, for real. So, but these days, around 87% of buildings in Tokyo can withstand earthquakes. Like, they've been built to those modern standards. So that's pretty impressive, especially in such a huge city. Yeah. So, you're in a building 
your building's probably going to stay standing because it's built really well. So the biggest danger becomes to you getting hit with something during the earthquake. Mm-hmm. It's really important to bolt down heavy furniture. Yep. Bookcases, tables, all that stuff just starts flying around. If you go watch a video of a inside someplace in a major quake, it's unbelievable how that stuff's flying out. It can really hurt you. Yeah. Just seconds after the earthquake starts, all of a sudden this room is just stuff everywhere. Just yeah. filled with debris all yeah. over the places. The desk and the couch are switching places and everything's on the ground. Yeah. There was actually a really big drive after the Kobe earthquake to secure furniture in buildings across Japan. And that's done to a much higher level these days. Yeah. Yeah. One of the lessons that you learn going through this stuff, right? Yep. So schools are full of people a lot of the time. So it's pretty important to prepare for earthquakes in that setting. And they have earthquake drills every month in Japanese schools. The alarm sound, the kids take shelter under their desks, and they even have these padded covers that they can pull out and put over their head. If they're outside, they're supposed to rush to the center of any open place so that they can't get hurt by stuff falling down on top of them. That's smart. Yep. Local fire departments even take groups of kids into these earthquake simulation machines so they can actually see what it's like. Wow. Yeah, they can figure out, you know, how much am I going to be able to move around during this? Like, yeah, sense for what it's like. And you're, if you're familiar with what it feels like, you're probably going to be less panicky when it actually happens. Yeah, if you're familiar with it. You get the warning ahead of time. You know what's coming. You're so much more likely to just be like, all right, got to do what I got to do and not yeah. be freaking out about it. Yeah. Yeah, and those monthly drills too. I mean, it's just drilled into your head. This is what you're going to have to do. And it's going to happen eventually. Like... Yeah. There's so yeah. many earthquakes in Japan, it's pretty much inevitable that at some point you're going to have to take cover. Yep. The whole point is to just make it natural instincts. You don't have to think about it. Right. You just know what you're doing when it happens. Yeah. And schools with two or more stories actually have evacuation chutes that kids can slide down to get to safety. Isn't that like cool? Like slides out the windows? I guess. That is, that's I'm not awesome. sure where they end up. It seems like it would be outside of... They must be in like inflatable chutes, like on yeah, an airplane I, I or would. something. That's what right? I would imagine. Yeah. But yeah, it makes sense. What if a stairway gets blocked? What if it causes a fire in one part of the building? Mm-hmm. That's super awesome to be able to get out yeah. to safety. Yeah. Good preparedness. I heard that the schools too recently had been trying to get more realistic with the drills, mm. whereas they're like surprise drills. It's not like everyone knows a week in advance, Tuesday morning, we're having the earthquake drill, guys. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, boom, it's just happening, and the kids need to immediately react. That is a good idea. You know, at my workplace, we have fire drills, but yeah, you get notified, like, days in advance exactly what time it's going to happen on what day. I got to make sure I'm not in the bathroom at that time of Didn't day. you accidentally work through one of those not too long ago? I didn't work through it. I thought you were talking about the one where I forgot it was going to be happening and I did go to the bathroom <laughs> and I, I stayed in the bathroom because I, you knew I know it was this, a drill. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm going to finish up here before, before I go outside. Hopefully it's not like one of those school drills where they were like, we can't find Jason. No one can go back into the building <laughs> until we account for every last person. Oh, that would have been horrible. <laughs> no, I just got a... A little comment from my manager when I got back to my desk, like, where were you? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't see out there at our safety point. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, oh, speaking of workplaces, offices are also pretty well prepared in a lot of the same ways that schools are. Uh, They'll have earthquake emergency kits with food, water, medical supplies, and they're going to have like helmets and gloves available to uh, help people protect themselves. And those helmets and gloves are also available in schools. I didn't mention that. Yep. They'll run drills at offices too, so people know where the supplies are, know what to do. Um, It's useful to keep the supplies actually at your desk Mm because that's where you're probably going to be when the earthquake hits. Yeah. And when a big earthquake starts shaking, you don't have time to like run to the storage closet and find a helmet and a flashlight. Yeah. You need to just get under your desk and grab whatever you can because it's happening. Yep. Don't get much notice. Also, I saw that public buildings, such as like office buildings or shopping centers, stock a whole bunch of emergency supplies for when earthquakes or other disasters hit. Because if the public transportation system goes down in a major Japanese city, that's going to leave potentially millions of people stranded without a way to get home that day. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, So those people need somewhere to sleep, they need food, they need water, they need a blanket. So these public buildings stock enough of that stuff for their staff, their customers, and more people just coming in off the street for shelter. Awesome. Yeah. Smart. It is. It's awesome. It's being responsible. Yeah. So what, what about trains? A lot of people travel on trains in Japan. What happens if you're underground in a train? When an earthquake happens, they will cut power to the train to stop it from moving. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would assume eventually either the train can move again or you have to get out and walk back down the tunnel to safety. Yeah. But you would, I believe, you would sit on the train until it stops shaking. Yeah. But you don't even need to rely on a person hitting a switch to turn these things off because the trains, they have sensors on the train and they will stop automatically if they sense an earthquake of any magnitude to make sure they don't derail. Yeah. And I looked up specifically about the Shinkansen, the bullet trains, because I was curious, well, you're going hundreds of kilometers an hour. What do you do when a big earthquake hits? Yeah. So all the Shinkansen are hooked up to a central hub where they monitor earthquakes all around Japan. And the moment they see a big one happening anywhere, they send a kill switch to every Shinkansen that shuts it down and slows it down as soon as possible. And when the big earthquake hit in 2011, all 50 trains or Shinkansen trains that were operating within the earthquake zone stopped or were ordered to stop 10 seconds before the earthquake hit. So they were all either slowing down or stopped already by the time the big shaking started. Yeah. And the Shinkansen also have interior rails on the train. So it's like they have rails on both sides of the wheel. And that's to help prevent track derailments from shaking. Oh, so they're like grabbing onto the rail to make sure they don't go anywhere, huh? Yeah. And then if it's even more violent than that, they've got these big stoppers that deploy under each car of the train that uh, can like catch the side of the track if the train's bouncing around so it doesn't tip over or completely fall. Very cool. Yeah. And again, I think we said that the uh, transportation episode, there's never been a fatal accident involving a bullet train in Japan. Yeah. 
Even with the earthquakes, even with everything. Even at the super high speeds that they travel. It's, that's it's amazing. Incredible. Yeah, the engineers that figure out this stuff. Uh, hats off to them. So I'd almost want to be in a Shinkansen when an earthquake hit. It might be one of the best places to be. Could be. <laughs> so I also saw an interesting fact that uh, all the members of the House of Representatives in Japan have a flame-resistant protective hood under their seats, hmm. partly because the ceiling of their chamber is made of stained glass windows. So that could a, be scary. Yeah, if a big enough earthquake hit, there could potentially be some falling glass. So all the little kids at schools have their protective hoods, but so do all the old lawmakers. <laughs> cool. So yeah, you mentioned that the uh, the Shinkansen get shut down up to 10 seconds before the quake hits. As soon as they sense the beginnings of a quake, um, before the big shaking starts, they send out the warning signal and they cut the trains. They also send out warnings to people's cell phones and everything too. Yeah, all smartphones in Japan are connected to this alert system so that people can get a few precious seconds to make sure they can prepare themselves as well as they can before the big shaking starts. Yeah, they I don't know exactly what it is, but they sense the ground starting to slip or rumble in a way that they can tell a big shake is about to come. Yeah. And they get that 10 whatever seconds of warning to shut everything down as quickly as possible. Yeah, or pull out your emergency kit in your workplace or your, in the school or whatever. Yeah, your phone beeps. You got five seconds to grab your helmet, get under your desk. Yeah. It's about enough time, I guess. Yeah, as long as you're not in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, no, that'd be the worst. Oh, man. Oh, no, I just, you, you put that in my mind now, and I'm yeah, just like I didn't nightmare mean to do fuel that. right there. It's in my mind, too. That was unintentional. <laughs> But man, or what if you were in a porta potty? Oh no! Yeah, yeah, I would just, I would just give up. Yeah. Anyway, so all of these preparations that they've made all over Japan seem to be working pretty well. TV footage from recent major earthquakes actually show people in schools and offices really calm, like they've they've been trained well on what to do when the earthquake happens, and they're good at following that, and. People are way, way, way safer than they were, for example, back in the 1923 quake. And I also wanted to mention, actually, I came across this manual that the Tokyo government released called Disaster Preparedness Tokyo. A lot of good information in there about what you're supposed to do and how to prepare. But the coolest thing in there, I thought, or the most interesting, was there's a little short manga in there. What's a manga? Japanese comic. So they had this little short one called Tokyo X Day, and it's horrifying. X Day is in like disaster day? Yeah. So it basically just shows this random guy in Tokyo, and he gets that alert on his phone that an earthquake is coming. And basically, the comic just shows stuff going down, like a big, big earthquake. Trains are derailing. There's a bridge that like half of it has collapsed and there are cars just flying off the edge of the bridge. Terrible stuff. And that's kind of the whole, the whole manga is just this terrible <laughs> earthquake happening. But at the very end of it, like the last frame is, this is not a what if story. In the near future, this story is sure to become a reality. Wow. Yeah. 
It's true, though. It is. I mean, they're expecting a really, really huge one, like a really, really super, super huge one in the next 30 years or so. The big one. Wow. Yeah. Ugh. So this, no, it seems like this manga is just trying to drill it into people that you better be prepared because it's going to happen eventually. You can't just pretend it's not going to happen. Yeah, I saw a video of a earthquake simulator in Japan, and they like take it super seriously as they should mm -hmm. in this simulator you like got into an elevator cart mm. and you know a fake one yeah. and it shook you like an earthquake and the lights went out and you you know had to deal with that yeah. and then the door opens on the other side and you walk out into this fake city street where everything's destroyed wow. there's like buildings collapsed on top of cars and just rubble everywhere and if you look down the street, all the buildings are just on fire. Like, it, it was, like, scary. Yeah. But that's, like, they're preparing you for when it happens. It's going to be a disaster. And yeah. you're going to be more expecting it now, maybe. Yeah, I mean, you can't have any delusions about what the reality of these things are gonna, is going to look yeah, like. you can't sugarcoat it. Because when it happens, it happens. And it's going to be, it's going to be what's going to be. Yeah. Oh, man. This, yeah. this is an intense episode, man. Yeah, ne we never got to, like, the fun part of this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the preparedness part is kind of a silver lining a little bit, but, man, earthquakes are scary. That's, like, that's the tagline for this episode. Earthquakes are scary. Yeah. There's definitely been progress, and now that the worst earthquakes, thousands of people die rather than tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. Yeah. So there's definitely been... Good progress. They've done the best they can and made the most of their situation. Absolutely. So, what's it like being in an earthquake? What do you do? You're in Japan and the ground starts shaking. What's the first thing you do? Okay. So, as we have said, falling objects are your biggest danger, right? Toppling furniture and panic. Like, just stay calm. First of all, I guess that, that's, that's number one. Stay calm. And what you want to do is lower your center of gravity to keep yourself steady because this earthquake's going to be wanting to throw you all over the place. So stay low, cover your head and neck, get under a table or a doorway if possible, and hold on to something so you're secured. If you're inside, your first instinct might be to run outside. That's a bad idea because windows will shatter, probably. Glass could be falling down from above. A lot of things could be falling down from above, and you don't want to be hit by those things. So under a table or a doorway is the place you want to be if you're inside. If you're outside, you want to find somewhere where you're protected from falling glass and objects. Yeah, so move away from buildings if you can. Yeah. And after a strong earthquake, if you are able to, if you're near a kitchen or something... You're going to want to turn off any ovens, stoves, and the main gas valve of your house if you can get to it. Because like we said in that great Kanto earthquake, gas were lines of, were broken. Yeah, there were a lot of fires caused by that. So yes. you can prevent that by turning off all that gas stuff. It's also a good idea to try to open doors if you can, because closed doors after they've been through an earthquake and you know the, sh the frame of the door has been shifted a little bit and warped. It can be hard to open doors. You might get trapped inside. If you're in a car, 
You want to pull over away from potential falling debris, and you want to stay in your car. That's going to give you at least some protection against falling objects. Yeah. And if you need to evacuate, if for some reason you actually have to leave your car, you want to leave your doors unlocked and leave the keys in the ignition. And that's so that in case rescue workers come by and they need to move your car, they can do that easily. Yeah, don't block everyone else in. Yeah. And then once you've made it through maybe the initial big shake, you're going to want to flip on a radio or a TV and pay attention to the news to find out if there are any tsunami or landslides that could have been caused by this earthquake because in Japan, all radio and TV stations will immediately switch to official earthquake coverage when there's a major earthquake. So follow those steps and you'll probably survive. Yep. Be in good shape. Yeah. Should be all right. Yep. You got anything else or is that uh, cover earthquakes in Japan? I think that pretty much covers it. Man. I didn't expect this episode to be quite so dark. The next one should be more fun. It will be. It will be. Yeah. Speaking of the next episode, what is the next episode? On the next episode, we will be talking about kimono. Cool. Traditional Japanese clothing. That should be a lot more lighthearted. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be talking about fashion and design and comfort. And well, after this episode, it all seems so trivial. <laughs> No, no, no. This episode makes you realize how important all that stuff is. That's a good point. Yeah. You got to enjoy your comfortable clothes and the beautiful kimonos and all of that while you can, while things are good. Yep. YOLO, right? (laughs) Yeah. That's what the kids say. YOLO because that earthquake's a-coming. Yep. Anyway, if you want to hear more, see some pretty pictures... Check out our website at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. Find more pretty pictures at our Instagram, sjppodcast. I already talked about the next episode, so I guess this is it. Thanks for listening. Thank you. We'll see you next time.